So today we are wrapping up our second and final message in our hashtag better together series. But if you can believe it, over the past four and a half months, yes, time has truly flown, four and a half months we've been journeying with a number of churches through Paul's letter to the Corinthian church in a series titled Messy Grace. Next week we will pick this up again as we begin a five-week journey through Paul's instructions to the Corinthians on the spiritual gifts. Yes, church, you heard me correctly, spiritual gifts. There's been a lot of confusion around the spiritual gifts right through the ages, and so I assure you, you do not want to miss this series. You don't want to miss any message, of course, but you really do not want to miss the spiritual gift series. Uh, as we mentioned during the announcements for the past two weeks, Oné, along with many representatives from our partner churches, who have also been joining through Corinthians, well, they've been away at the Acts 29 Global Conference in the US. And so we have pushed pause on the Messy Grace series until they get back. But we wanted to, to do a bit of a recap, or rather a reinforcement of some of Paul's key teachings coming out of the Corinthian Messy Grace series. And a big one for us here at Rooted Fellowship was the idea of getting into community, or plugging ourselves into a community so that we can do life in a way that glorifies our risen Lord Jesus Christ. And so the hashtag Better Together series provided an opportunity for us to push pause on Paul's letter to the Corinthians and then listen to one of Paul's other tracks in the form of his letter to the Colossians. In this Paul's letter to the Colossians, Paul shares many of the same sentiments as he did in the letter to the, Colossian, uh, to the Corinthians. But here, this time, he gets really practical. And so we felt like this was a good chapter to go through. That consuming fire, rushing wind is happening here, guys. So just, okay, don't worry about it. In order to reinforce uh, some of the teachings we have covered over the past few months, we decided to get into this series. And so if you were here last week and you felt like it was a bit deja vu-y, or perhaps that you'd heard it all before, well, actually you had. But this was Paul's message to a different church. But we pray that this morning... This repetition, along with the practical implications of being better together, is beneficial for us all. And as we come to the text this morning, you may once again see that we are covering similar material and similar teachings. But it is our prayer that the Holy Spirit reveals something new to us, and that this will enlighten us and equip us to be truly better together in all spheres of life. The section of scripture this morning is only nine verses, but man, these verses have wrecked me. They have really challenged me this past week as I've been preparing for this message, and I pray that God is able to do a mighty work in each one of us as we explore his word today. Before we delve into Colossians chapter 3, verses 18 to 25, and chapter 4, verse 1, allow me to remind us about the context of this letter and the verses leading up to this text. If you can remember from last week, or if you weren't here perhaps, the, the town of Colossae formed part of the Roman Empire at the time of this letter, in 60 AD. And it was made up of many different nationalities due to its location along a key trading route. The town consisted of Greeks, Romans, Jews, and Phrygians, to name just a few people groups. And as a result of this, the church in Colossae was very diverse and transcultural. Much like ours is, and how we continually strive to be. 
And so as a result of Colossae's population makeup, their religious worldview was largely influenced by Eastern philosophical religions along with Judaism. And both schools of thought emphasized the distance between humankind and God. And therefore, both of them placed a massive emphasis on reaching up to a deity or reaching the gods or reaching God through either gaining enlightenment or wisdom, worldly wisdom, or by practicing rigorous religious practices such as eating kosher food, circumcision. So as we saw last week, a church is established in Colossae by a man named Epaphras into this context. And Epaphras most likely crossed the line of faith whilst visiting Ephesus and listening to Paul preach there. He meets with Jesus in Ephesus. He's transformed by the power of the gospel. He then goes back to the town of Colossae and begins to preach the gospel and establish the church. But it is important to note that the Christian community in Colossae is still so influenced by Eastern philosophical religions and Judaism, both of which keep emphasizing the distance between them and the Almighty or the Holy God. And so they begin to downplay the saving grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. They lose sight of the fact that it is through faith. Oh, wow, that was key. It is through faith in Jesus Christ and faith alone. Faith alone that eternal life is secured. And so Paul writes then this letter to them after being visited by Epaphras in jail and after hearing reports about the problems that this church is facing. Paul writes to the church in Colossae to address these problems. And so last week we covered chapter 3, verses 1 to 17, in which Paul informed the Christians in Colossae that they do not realize that only through their faith in the saving power of the cross of Jesus Christ are they saved. Only through their faith in the saving power of the cross of Jesus Christ are they saved. But at the same time, they need to be set apart. They need to behave differently to the non-believers surrounding them. They are to shine Christ's light and offer hope and salt and light to non-believers surrounding them. They need to be set apart and behave differently in every area of their lives compared to the non-believers within their community. Paul informs the Colossian Christians that in their new resurrection life in Jesus Christ, no area of their human existence remains untouched by the loving and liberating rule of the Lord. So in chapter 3, Paul offered them instructions generally, how they are to live, how they are not to live, and finally, how they are to relate to one another. And in the text today, we shall see that Paul takes it one step further when he specifically informs the Christians in Colossae about how they are to relate to one another in the home and whilst at work. And thus, Paul also has a message for us here at Rooted Fellowship Pretoria, South Africa, 2017, on how we as believers are to relate to our spouses, our family members, and to our co-workers. This is a message instructing us on how to be better together at home and in the workplace. And so the title for today's message is Harmony at Home, Well-Being at Work. Harmony at Home and Well-Being at Work. But before we examine that, let us draw near to God our Father, our good, good Father, in prayer. 
<clears throat> Father, we come to you this morning, and as we do that, Lord, we pray that you would clear our hearts and clear our minds of any distractions, Lord. We pray that we may become focused on you, Jesus, focused on your love, focused on your grace, and we ask, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would reveal to us your wisdom, which is found only in your cross, Lord. We become before you today as one body here at Rooted Fellowship. We humbly ask, Lord, that you would give us a thirst for your word this morning, that you would remove the scales from our hearts, our eyes, and our minds, and that, you would come, that we would come to this message this morning ready to hear and receive what you would want us to hear and receive. I pray, Lord, that the words of my mouth, the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O oh, Lord, our good, good Father, our Savior, our wisdom and power, our rock and our redeemer. In your holy name we pray. Amen. Well, harmony at home, well-being at work. Hashtag better together. Before we get into the text, I would like to just mention that we're about to see that Paul begins to instruct the Christians in Colossae, who we know were made up of mostly Greek, Roman, and Phrygian Gentiles, although they were also a minority of Jews. But he begins to instruct this predominantly Gentile church on how to function as a truly Christian household. It is important to bear in mind, however, that a typical Colossian household would have been functioning in the same way that a first century Roman household would function. This household, this Roman household, was a highly authoritarian institution, highly authoritarian, where a male patriarch essentially held the power of life and death over his wife, his children, and his servants. And so it is with this type of household that Paul begins to engage. And so if you've been coming to Rooted Fellowship over the past little while, um, you would say these verses seem quite similar, but I ask you to be patient and explore them with me. Let's get into our text today. Colossians 3, verses 18 to 25, and chapter 4, verse 1. Rules for Christian households. Colossians 3, verse 18. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. Bondservants, obey in everything those who, who are, are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleases, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Jesus Christ, for the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. Chapter 4, verse 1. Masters, treat your bondservants justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. We praise you, Lord, for this your word. Now, you, you may have read verses 18 and 19, and you say, well, this isn't new to me. We've covered this in Messy Grace, and you would be correct. We have con covered the concept of submission and love within marriage extensively throughout Corinthians. But it is something that is extremely countercultural today, and as we will see in a moment, it was even incredibly countercultural at the time of this letter. 
And so we need to be continuously reminded of these concepts. Harmony at home, I'm sure you would agree, is certainly something that would make us better together. And so verse 18, we come, we come to the text. Verse 18. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Paul, interestingly, addresses the women or the wives within the household first. And he does it, the same thing in Ephesians 5. Now, I want you to know, church, that this is radical. And this shows that he recognizes the wife's crucial role within the household. Why? Because by doing this, Paul begins to reshape the most basic Roman institution. The household is no longer based around the patriarch, the man or the husband, but instead it is based around the person of Jesus Christ, who rules how? By his self-giving love. By addressing the wives within the Christian household first, Paul is advocating the complete transformation of the household to the point that it actually will no longer be recognized within this Roman town. In this section, verse 18, he virtually abolishes the prevailing Roman household institution with, its, with his countercultural instructions. And it is interesting to note that he is actually taking the household back to God's original design, as set out in Genesis 1.27. Men and women were created equally in the image of God. But it was after the fall of creation that this harmonious household becomes corrupted by sin and so Paul needs to deconstruct this fallen and corrupted status quo that is evident in Colossae and much throughout the Roman Empire and very much in today's world as well. And so by addressing the Christian wives in Colossae first, using one instruction, wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord, Paul conveys to these Christians that Jesus is now the one true Lord over everything, including the household. And by establishing that, the Christian wife in Colossae is empowered to allow her husband to lead her and become responsible for her before God. And so married women of God today, by recognizing Jesus Christ's lordship over your household, as a Christian wife, you are empowered to allow yourself to submit to your husband in the same way that you chose to put your faith in Jesus Christ. By recognizing Jesus Christ's lordship over your household as a Christian wife, you are empowered to allow yourself to submit to your husband in the same way that you chose to put your faith in Jesus Christ. God did not force any of us to accept him as our Lord and Savior. And in the same way, he does not force you to submit to your husband. A Christian wife willingly allows herself to submit to her husband in the same way that Jesus, God the Son, within the triune Godhead, willingly chose to submit to God the Father. We saw this a couple of weeks ago when One covered this in the He Who Creates Dictates sermon in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And so a Christian wife can confidently and willingly submit because of her knowledge that Jesus himself is the true Lord of all, including being the Lord over her husband and her, and her household. Submission is not something that can be demanded. 
It is a woman's voluntary decision made in obedience to the scripture and to the dominion of the Lord Jesus Christ. Today, however, you may be sitting here as a believing wife, longingly wanting to submit to the lordship of Jesus Christ in the home. And thus, you would want to voluntarily submit to your husband, but perhaps you feel that your husband is not leading you. Well, what then? Please hear me out, though. Not leading you is not the same as adultery, abuse, or abandonment, which only are covered in our relationship series. It is not the same as adultery, abuse, or abandonment. But what are you to do when your husband is not leading you? Well, 1 Peter 3 verses 1 to 2 answers this when it says, Wives, accept the authority of your husbands. Then, even if some husbands refuse to obey the word, in other words, if some husbands refuse to lead you, your godly conduct will convince them. Your godly conduct will convince them. Peter says that your godly conduct will change their behavior. He essentially says, pray for your husbands. Give them situations or opportunities where they have to step up and lead. And then when you do that, these husbands will recognize your godly submission and they will rise up and lead. They will recognize godly submission and they will rise up and leave, lead. But I would urge you, however, to cover this all in prayer. And so now we come to Christian husbands in verse 19. Now as a fleshly man who studied an LLB, I sometimes go into lawyer mode, okay? And I look for reasons not to do things. But I, I want you to let you know that I, I sought legal counsel for this verse. And, uh, or for this matter, should I say. So thank you to Christina. I don't think she's here, but I sought legal counsel. And I want you to note something about verse 19. Verse 19 is not a conditional clause. A conditional clause says that if A happens, do B. Right? Paul does not say, husbands, if your wife submits, then you must love them. His instruction is con unconditional. It is completely unconditional. Verse 19. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Paul secondly addresses the husbands. Which, as I mentioned earlier, this was radical. Paul says that men are now to show care, concern, and gentleness with their wives. In verse 18, wives were given a single command. But here in verse 19, husbands are given two. This is significant because leadership means more responsibility towards your household and more accountability before God. The first obligation for husbands is to love their wives. Paul is not instructing Christian husbands to merely enjoy the physical benefits of marriage or be friendly or pleasant towards their, their wives. No. Instead, Paul uses a form of the Greek word agape for love. This term, agape, indicates an unselfish, sacrificial love for another. A love which lays down its life. A love that is unconditional, immeasurable, and knows no limits. Paul is urging Christian husbands in Colossae to be subject to the lordship of Jesus Christ and therefore to follow Jesus' example by placing their wives' entire well-being 
their wives' entire well-being above their own. The Bible is consistent in its portrayal of a proper husband-wife relationship. Ephesians 5, to 33 proves this. And in these verses, uh, Paul makes it clear that men are meant to be the leaders of the home, but at the same time, there is no room in Scripture for husbands to be abusive, domineering, or unfair. Nor is there anything suggesting male superiority. On the contrary, a properly functioning marriage should have the same kind of equality with submission found in the Trinity itself. A properly functioning marriage should have the same kind of equality with submission found in the Trinity itself. And so Christian husbands of today, we too are instructed to love our wives unconditionally. We must not love our wives for who we wish they were, but we must love them for who they are. We must not love our wives for who we wish they were. We must love them for who they are. Just as Jesus loves and accepts us for exactly who we are. Yes, Jesus desires for us not to sin, but he died for us while we were still sinners, Romans 5.8. And so he loves us for exactly who we are. Agape love calls for us to love our wives intentionally. We need to support them in deepening God-honoring friendships. We need to make an effort to get to know their love languages. It calls us to love them personally. Yes, text messages, emails, great. But we need to spend uninterrupted time with our wives. We need to seek to find out the best way and time to communicate with them. We need to, need to seek to find out the best way and time to communicate with them. And we must love them sacrificially. This means, if we're loving them sacrificially, that sometimes we need to give up leisure time. Sometimes we need to give up entertainment. Sometimes we need to sacrifice work. And dare I say it, sometimes we even need to give up too many church functions. I'm not saying sacrifice your relationship with God. We are called to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. But church functions are not always strengthening my relationship with God. And they are often causing friction between spouses. Men, I want you here today. There is no such thing as babysitting your own child. Am I, can I get an amen? amen. <laughs> Perhaps this upcoming Spaces Weekend provides us with the perfect opportunity to sacrificially love our wives. And as we do that, let's also not leave a big list of things for them to do when they get back. I oh, know we survived, it's fine. No, no, no. If you need help, why not involve some of the other members of the community by inviting them to help clean up the house, play with the kids, cook supper? I truly believe that we can be better together. Paul's second command in verse 19 is a direct counter to the Colossian prevailing attitudes about husbands and wives. Throughout the Roman Empire in 60 AD, women were not valued equally, nor were they given equal representation within their culture. The culture of Paul's day told men that they had the power and the right to be domineering and severe with their wives. But women and men were created equally in the image of God. We've seen this in Genesis 1.27. And so Paul commands men not to provoke their wives, but rather 
to care for them, nurture them, treat them with kindness. And in fact, when Paul uses the word harsh, he makes use of, use of the Greek term pikranesti, which means that men are not to be bitter, irritable, or frustrated with their wives. Men are not to be bitter, irritable, or frustrated with their wives. You can tell why this was challenging for me. Not because my wife is, she's fantastic. Love you, babe. But uh, we, we do this. And so Christian husbands, we should, not, we should not lift our voices to our wives. And we should not dominate them whilst arguing. Paul instructs men to love their wives, not to fix them. Not to control them. Nor to preach at them. Hey, honey, you know, Colossians 5, sorry, Ephesians 5 says this, submit. Colossians 3.18 says submit, no. We are not called to preach at our wives. But instead, we are to love them. To pray for them. To support them and celebrate them. A Casting Crown song called Love Them Like Jesus beautifully encapsulates how Christian men are to love their wives in these lyrics. Just think on these words. The love of her life is drifting away. They're losing the fight for another day. The life that she's known is falling apart. A fatherless home, a child's broken heart. You're holding her hand. You're straining for words. You're trying to make sense of it all. She's desperate for hope. Darkness clouding her view. She's looking to you. Just love her like Jesus. Carry her to him. His yoke is easy. His burden is light. You don't need the answers to all of life's questions. Just know that he loves her and stay by her side. Love her like Jesus. Yes, love her like Jesus. You see, it is this type of agape love that Jesus loved us with when he willingly went to die on a cross for us. This is the type of love that wrecks a selfish heart and which causes that same selfish heart to bow down in wonder and worship. And this is the only type of love which can truly invoke willing and humble submission. It is the only type of love which can truly invoke willing and humble submission. We move on to verse 20. Verse 20, children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Here, Paul goes back to the very first commandment found in Exodus 20, verse 12. Honor your father and mother. Verse 20 seems clear, simple, straightforward, right? And I know what you're thinking. Perhaps this is clearly addressed to, addressed to children. This is something that Jono should be sharing with seedlings and sprouts. Because, man, my kids need to hear this. Well, yes, that may be the case, but also no. Because while most of us here are adults, we still are our parents' children. And we too need to honor and obey our parents and parental figures as they grow older as well. Many Christian lunches and extended family visits would be a lot more peaceful if we were to obey and honor our parents. This does not mean that we are to pander to them, but we are called to honor and obey them. It was the very first commandment that God gave to Moses and Israel. And Paul is now calling children in Christian homes to maturity and respect. It is very important to note, however, that Paul is addressing this instruction to Christian households. 
Because whilst the Bible instructs us to honor our parents, if I am a believer and my parents are not, I am not to follow their worldly advice if it goes directly against Scripture. So if I have crossed the line of faith, my parents have not, or if my spiritual maturity and knowledge of the Word exceeds that of my Christian parents, and if, for example, they advise me to move in with my girlfriend and enjoy a sexual relationship with her before marriage, I am called to follow Scripture instead. Verse 21. Parents. Please notice here again that verse 21 is not dependent on the previous verse. It is also not a conditional clause. This verse does not say, Fathers, if your children obey you, then do not provoke them. It says, Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. Now, if you didn't believe me about Paul deconstructing the patriarchal Roman household structure in Colossae, this verse makes it clear. It's addressed to fathers first. Notice that this verse deconstructs the cultural norm of a dominating father. It, in his address to fathers, Paul clearly speaks to the fact that previously in Colossae, in these households, it was completely normal for fathers to provoke their children. And so Paul vehemently opposes this by addressing it to fathers. And in doing so, Paul is calling parents to rather raise their children with patience and understanding. Christian parents are to refrain from physically, psychologically, verbally, and emotionally abusing their children. They are to love their children for who they are, not for who they wish them to be. In today's context, this may mean that we need to balance providing for our children along with not overburdening them with our insecurities and fears. All of them don't need to be doctors. They don't have to excel at sports which we either sucked in or excelled at. They don't need to do every single extramural activity under the sun. They don't have to be perfect. And for parents with adult children, this may mean letting your children go or refraining from making them feel guilty. It may mean letting them fall and fail and then allowing them to pick themselves up again. Parents need to love their children like Jesus loves us. Paul has addressed family members in the previous four verses. And now in the next five verses, Paul begins a set of instructions for the relationship between a bondservant and their master. Bondservants formed part of a typical Roman household during Paul's time. But in today's context, we can look to Paul's instructions instead as imperatives for how we are to behave at work. And this is because the Greek word that Paul uses for a bondservant is doulos. And the word doulos doesn't directly translate into a, a, a practice within our modern day world. The term doulos actually covers a number of relationships within the Bible, but in the New Testament, and specifically within Paul's letter to the Colossians, a doulos, or a bondservant in this context, was someone who served another person in some kind of capacity for a specific period of time. It was possible for a doulos to own property, achieve social advancement, and even freely terminate the service relationship. And so this is why I've titled this section, Well-Being at Work. 
Because even though these instructions were directed to a, do, a doulos who worked within a Christian household, these instructions apply more to the modern day practice of employment. And so we come to verse 22. Bond servants, or for our purposes this morning, workers, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters or superiors. Not by way of eye service as people pleases, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. We continue, verse 23. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. So do not work merely for the recognition of your superiors. And don't just do the bare minimum because you can. Verse 24. Know that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. Paul is saying you have received eternal life and you will receive riches in heaven because, carrying on, you are serving the Lord Christ. Verse 25. For the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done. And there is no partiality. In other words, don't be concerned about petty workday squabbles and the injustices at work because God is indeed just and the truth of your character will stand the test of time. So this means as Christian workers, we are called to show up and bring our A-games to work. Not because we're being paid, not because our bosses will get angry, but because our one true Lord, Jesus Christ himself, sees us. And because our entire lives have been transformed by him. And everything we do is an act of worship to him, even working. This means that we need to think about our attitude whilst at work. How are we behaving? Are we taking advantage of company resources like the copier and the free Wi-Fi? I'll take that as a yes. It means only calling in sick when, guess what, we're actually sick. It means not getting involved in office politics and gossip. Because we are to do it all as an act of worship to the glory of God our Father and the Lord our Savior, Jesus Christ. Because our lives testify to the fact that Jesus truly is the one true Lord over our workplace. Chapter 4, verse 1. Note once again that there is no conditional clause here. But I also kind of just want to go back to verse 25. You can leave it like that. Verse 25, also look at this. Verse 25 is linked to, to verse 1, chapter 4. Because Paul reminds those in authority that they too are the servants of a master in heaven. And that they will be judged accordingly. Verse 25. For the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done. And there is no partiality. Those who do wrong, be they worker or superior, Know that God is just, and those who have done wrong will be punished. So verse 1. Masters or employers, treat your bondservants or workers justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. Because you serve Jesus Christ, and because he reigns over every single area of your life, you need to treat your workers fairly. You need to treat them well. Not because they work hard, but because God calls you to honor him in all that you do. So if you are a superior here today, or perhaps you lead others at work, how are you treating them? Are you loving them? Are you caring? Are you approachable? Are you looking out for their best interests? Do you even know their names? Where they're from? The struggles that they are facing? 
A fair and just employer is called to treat their workers in a way that brings honor and glory to their Father in heaven and in a way that reflects God's love and mercy. And so that brings us to the end of our text this morning, which although short, I'm sure that you will agree, it has been extremely challenging. And these are words that I've grappled with all week. Paul, in the power of the Holy Spirit, simplifies how a Christian husband, wife, child, parent, employee, and employer should be living when they are under the lordship of Jesus Christ. We do, however, need to note that Paul's words are not to be lauded over our relationships. They are not meant to be used as a manipulative tool to point out where our loved ones are going wrong. And so if you are here this morning and you are struggling with one or more of these relationships that Paul has spoken to, please remember that Paul does not use conditional clauses. We are called to be obedient and to honor the Lord in the relationships that we are in, in all of them. If I am a wife, I am called to submit to the leadership of my husband. If I am a husband, I am called to sacrificially love my wife. If I am a child, I am called to obey my parents. If I am a parent, I am not to provoke my children. If I am an employee, I am to work diligently to the glory of the Lord. And if I am an employer, I am to treat my subordinates fairly. I recognize that all of Paul's instructions sound difficult, and they certainly are. But church, we need to open our hearts and minds to their transforming power in our lives if we truly seek to be better together. In preparing for this message, I have truly seen this week just how short I fall, as well as how often I fall short of the glory of God in all these fears. However, we also need to hear this morning that Jesus' grace is sufficient for us. And he once again invites us to come to him, to come to his table, to repent and be set free from our old ways and to live in a new way, set apart in the power of his Holy Spirit. We are reminded of this in Lamentations 3, to 23, which says, The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. We may not feel like following Paul's words this morning. We may not feel like following them tomorrow. And we may not even feel like following them on our best days. But we need to know that God's mercies never come to an end. Jesus' grace is sufficient for us. And if we rely on the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives through faith, prayer, and devotion, then God's Spirit can truly transform our hearts. His Holy Spirit can transform our hearts and equip us to earnestly follow His Word and live out our faith at home and at work. And so the intention behind this Better Together series was for us as Rooted Fellowship to explore what getting into community looks like. Last week in Colossians 3, verses 1 to 17, Paul showed us how to be set apart as believers through intentionally seeking Jesus, by dying with Christ to our fleshly desires, and by surrounding ourselves with strong 
like-minded believers who could encourage us and at the same time hold us accountable. We saw last week that who we spent our time with and how we spend our time has an impact on our walk with Jesus Christ. And we saw that when it comes to following Jesus, it is indeed better together. And then this week, we have seen that putting our faith in Jesus Christ has an effect on every area of our lives. And we've looked at how to live out our faith in the two places that we spend most of our time. We have seen how we can be better together at home and at work. And we've seen just how, how to live in harmony at home and to have well-being at work. At Rooted Fellowship, we believe in community. I said it earlier, I said it twice. And so in addition to our Sunday gatherings, many of you will know that we have city groups that meet throughout the week across the city. We seek to be a church that is gospel-centered, disciple-making, and transcultural. And one of the ways that we do this is through our city groups. At Rooted, a city group is a community of Christ followers on mission with God in obedience to the Holy Spirit that demonstrates and declares the gospel of Jesus Christ to our city. Our city groups seek to emulate Christian households as they get together weekly for a meal. They meditate on the word, pray together, and then they seek to go out and share the, cr the cross of Christ across the city. Last week, we heard a beautiful testimony from Kenny and Nyla about how the church and their city group supported them at a difficult time, showing us that life is indeed better together. And this week, I'd like to call up on Carl, uh, Carl Brand to share about how, and Marion, fantastic, Carl and Marion Brand to share about how they have discovered life to be better together. Thanks, Carl. Is it up? Thanks, guys. Thank you so much for this. Thank you for agreeing to this. Um, so the past few months, weeks have been hectic, emotional rollercoaster, to say the least. Perhaps you can just fill, fill us in on that. Um, yeah, so I suppose it started with the birth of our daughter. I'm building up to that and everything. Obviously, the birth of a child is a hectic time in your life. And even building up to that, we were supported. But when, when you're getting a child, you often have sort of expectations of this ideal child, the best way to have the birth, the best way to raise the child in order to get the perfect child so that your child will be the doctor, <laughs> the lawyer. <laughs> and in a sense, I felt like during this time, God was saying, Carl, I'm not expecting a, a perfect child. I don't want you to raise a perfect child. I want you to raise a child that's honoring and serving me. Hmm. And <laughs> some of those lessons, <laughs> and maybe I need a lot um, because it felt like a lot, uh, was so... After just coming home for a few days, then my wife had to go into hospital for severe mastitis. So she was in hospital, and because she was breastfeeding, both of them were in hospital, but she wasn't in the state to look after our daughter. So I was in hospital too, looking mm. after the two of them at hospital um, wh while my other daughter was at home. And so that was pretty hectic, and I was like, okay, this is intense. And, okay. mm. and then we, we sort of got past that, and I thought, okay, cool. Nice. Yeah. And then we got home, and then we were home for a few weeks, or a week, and then we, we just had a sort of a, a hunch. My daughter was making a weird sound while breathing, so we went to get her checked. They said, okay, let's keep her overnight for observation. They did found an infection, so she was in hospital for a week. 
five days. So, and then during that time, um, they discovered what they termed a cystic mass. Um, it was basically a mass that they, not sure what it was, about the size of a golf ball um, in a newborn. Oh. If you sort of can figure out proportionally, that's quite large. Yeah. So um, they incidentally found that, so we went home, and then a week later had to go back into hospital for the surgery. Um, so, <laughs> yeah, we had to have surgery on our five, six-week-old daughter. Sure. Yeah, which is, <laughs> so my wife knows the date, <laughs> far better than me. Um, so, so yeah, that was roughly what happened. There were lots of other bits and pieces in between, and it was, yeah, my wife getting sick and my other daughter also getting sick and being sick during in between of this and all of that. And uh, just one thing that I forgot to mention is this idea of community and our church here being our family um, is very real to us. Our, our family is mm -hmm. far away. So you guys are it. Thanks, Carl. Sure. Um, obviously, some people knew about it. How, how, how did Rooted uh, come around you guys in that, in that time? It was, it was very difficult for you guys. Um, so we had a lot of people making us meals. Um, I know that obviously, um, well, a lot of the ladies will know this, that when a um, new mom, um, the for the first month after she gives birth, then a lot of the community makes meals for them. But those meals went a little bit further, and some people are still continuing to, to make us meals at the moment, which has been a great uh, blessing to us. Um, and we've also had um, people give us gift vouchers um, and things like that and buy us groceries because we've had a lot of medical expenses, which we weren't planning on. Um, and so it's just been a lot of um, yeah, help like that um, financially, which has been a great blessing. Um, and then just also even practically looking after Lily Ann, um, when we were when Carl was at work and I was sitting at the hospital all day with Ella Rose, we had no one. <laughs> so um, we had a lot of people coming to look after our little girl um, and just spend time with her. Um, obviously, we didn't ask everyone because she doesn't know everyone, so it's a bit difficult to figure out who to ask because you also want her to feel settled as well. Yeah. Um, so we often called on the same people more than once, um, and they were still willing to help us. Um, which was just amazing. So, yeah, awesome. we really have felt really loved. Awesome. Yeah, I think, yeah, there was a s overwhelming sense of generosity and literally overwhelming. Like, I shed man tears on occasion just <laughs> because of the, uh, the generosity. I mean, you, you discover um, uh, people, so outside of our community and beyond, people just supporting and loving us. Um, the sort of idea of it had never hit me before, but people intentionally saving so that they can bless people in a difficult time. Sure. Like Christians just yeah. seeing that as part of their ministry. People, and then other things, just like simple things, like people saying, how are you guys doing? Mm. How are you guys doing? How are you guys doing? Like perpetually to the point where you can't just go, we're fine, <laughs> because <laughs> they've asked enough times that you realize they're not going to accept that. Um, yeah, and yeah, sort of that overwhelming generosity and then, yeah, just all the other practical elements as well. And the prayer as well across the community and beyond. I mean, God's Amen. our community as Christian goes beyond just rooted, but yeah. especially within rooted. Awesome. Thank you. And then finally, so someone's here perhaps facing struggles, trials in their life. What would you, go, what would you say to them about uh, opening, perhaps sharing, getting plugged in? So <laughs> don't keep quiet. <laughs> 
So it's, e it's very easy to sort of, uh, I, I know I do it often, I, I suppose I come across as untouchable, things don't phase me, I, I'm always fine. I, my wife always teases me because I'm like, I'm fine, I'm always fine. Yeah. But it, in reality, like that's often a facade and there's no point of keeping up a facade within a family, within mm. a community. Mm. Um, yeah. People want to help and people, it's a, it's a privilege for them to help and you need to extend that opportunity to them. It's selfish to try deal with it on your own often. Sure. Um, sure. And that's a lesson that, <laughs> and a lesson in humility and a lesson in sort of, yeah, in, mm. in existing in community that I had to learn often. Mm. Um, and then also when you are having struggles, it's <laughs> we've also learned how we can be better at supporting people who will go through different struggles. I mean, ours on yeah. I mean, ours were our situation, yeah. and other people have different situations. And in it, we've also noticed like what was helpful to us, what things people said, which we were like, sure, I mm. must remember to say that, or I must remember not to say that. Mm. Um, by no means are we claiming that Rooted was perfect, um, but they were exceptionally good at supporting and loving us in it. But at the same time, there are lessons that we've yeah. learned, which we hope yeah. that if any of you are in that situation and we're supporting you, we don't make the same mistakes and we're yeah. better at serving and loving you. Amen. Amen. I know, well, last mm. thing, I, I just, uh, one of the things that sort of came out is the one day one of my neighbors just noticed and he's like, you've had lots of people come and help you and support you. And if mm. your neighbors are noticing, like yeah. <laughs> your church community is doing something right. Amen. Thank you. Thank you, Carl Marin. Thank you for testifying to his, his, his grace in your life. And thank you, church, for coming around him and supporting him. <clears throat> and so this morning, I'd like to say that if you are interested in forming part of a city group or you would like to get more plugged into the community here at Rooted by way of serving or meeting with other people, like-minded believers, please come talk to me after the service or please ensure that you do fill out one of those green hospitality cards at the back. And so church, we have seen that when we are confronted with the saving grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, no area of our lives remains unchanged. Not one area should not be under his lordship. And when we submit every single area of our lives to Jesus, including our home lives and our work lives and our community lives, we are equipped to face the trials and tribulations of life with joy and in the power of the gospel. We are able to face life's challenges as one, in the power of the Holy Spirit, united with our fellow Christians, Christian brothers and sisters. Life truly is better together. And so, Lord, we praise you, Lord God, for your cross. Thank you, Lord, that you, in your mercy and grace, died for the sins of the world. Thank you, Lord, that in putting our faith in you, we are set free from sin, death, and the ways of this fallen world. We praise you, Lord, for, for your church. We thank you for community we thank you for your community of believers who have blessed us, Lord. They've blessed us in a way that we may experience your abundant life. Thank you, Lord, for your instructions on how we are to bring every area of our lives under your lordship. Thank you for your design for households. Thank you for the body of Christ. And now, Holy Spirit, we ask that you would bind us together with cords that cannot be broken. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.